And last week, I know you kind of started a series of talks, of sermons on the words that surround Christmas. And I know specifically you're talking about the traditional words around Christmas, but when you ask people to sum up Christmas in one word, you get like a variety of answers. Like, have you noticed there's not really a unity of what people think of when they think of Christmas? It just depends on what Christmas movies or programming that you watch, kind of what the emphasis is in our society around us. And so if you were to ask a person on a given day, hey, if you could sum up Christmas in one word, you would get a variety of answers. Some people would say, well, Christmas is about giving. Some people would say Christmas is about family. Some people would say, you know, Christmas is about lights, winter, snow, cheer, most kids, if you're being real honest, would say it's about presents. Whether you've tried to instill that in your kids or not, that's like a message that they take and they run with. Christmas is about presents for them. But historically, throughout the, the history of the church, the church is focused on four words in the Christmas season. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And last week you talked about hope, so this week I get the privilege of teaching on the topic of peace. And so what I want to encourage you to do is if you've got a Bible with you, which if you have a phone, you probably do, uh, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 this morning. Um, but, you know, for, for 18 months or so, many of us were working from home. If you've got kids, your kids were at home. They were doing school at home. And so I know in my house, it was a little hectic, to say the least, for about 18 months. And it started to get a little more normal at this point, but, you know, it was tough. I would be in one room trying to have, like, Zoom call meetings. My wife is a teacher, and so she would be in the other room trying to, like, lead a classroom. And then my kids, my, both of my kids were in school, also on Zoom calls at the same time. I mean, it was like our networks were just dropping out left and right because there was so much internet usage, and it was just loud. My daughter would be crying about how difficult her schoolwork was and trying to learn math through a computer, and she was just struggling. My son would just decide one day he didn't want to do school, and I'm like, I, I, don't, I can't even deal with this because I'm dealing with my job. My wife's dealing with her job, and it was just chaotic, and it was loud, and maybe many of you can relate to exactly what I'm talking about uh, if you don't have kids good for you. You know, maybe it wasn't as stressful for you, but it was very stressful in my house. And I can't tell you how many times I found myself just kind of trying to get away from everything as much as I could for a little bit. And I, I would find myself in those moments, the few moments of quiet that I would get. And I would just be like, I just want some peace. I just want some peace during this season. That's, that's what I need more than anything else. I just want some peace and quiet. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to that right now in this season. You're like, you know, if I could just sum up what I need during this season, I would say I need peace. And you know, for, for, for us as Christians, Christmas is supposed to be about a time where we celebrate the Prince of Peace. And I think for many of us, like we just wish in this season we could have just a small taste, just a small taste of peace in this season. Maybe it's financial peace for you and you know, this is honestly a difficult time of year, and you're like, I just wish I could experience some financial peace in the turmoil in my life, and, and so you wish you could have that. Maybe it's relational peace in your home, in your friend group, in your, you know, with your spouse, or whatever relationships that you have that you're, you're struggling with, like, relational peace. I know for many of us, this is a time of year where we start to look back on the previous year and think through everything that God has done, everything that God has taught us, maybe some of the goals that we set last year maybe what we have to look forward to next year, and maybe you've got some big decisions coming up and you just wish that God would give you some peace in those big decisions that are coming up. 
This is also a time of year around Christmas. We have the longest night of the year. And so maybe, you know, we've got some very long, dark nights. And it's a time when a lot of people struggle with seasonal depression. And so you just wish you could have some emotional peace during this season. And I think when we think of peace, many times we have this idea of peace as an absence of turmoil or peace as an absence of conflict, right? Like for financial peace for you, it would just be like, you know, I just, I just want an absence of a lack of money. Or, or maybe in relation, I just wish that these relational turmoil or this relational turmoil that I'm dealing with, I wish it would just go away. Um, and, and we could list all of these things out, but I just, I, peace for me looks like an absence of something, an absence of conflict. But biblically, I want to encourage you because when we think of peace biblically, we think of something so much more than an absence of something, so much more than an absence of conflict, an absence of turmoil, because the peace of God is not technically about an absence of something. It's about a presence of something, something greater. And so the Bible actually uses two words for peace, and I know I'm giving a little bit of a long introduction this morning because I'm, I'm trying to kind of bring you along with me so you can kind of see uh, as we talk about Luke chapter 1 and 2 how peace ties into a lot of this. But, um, you know, in the Old Testament, the word for peace is the word shalom, which is actually not about the, necessarily the, the absence of turmoil, which it does kind of hint at that. So when we think of like world peace, we think of an absence of war, Right? But it actually is about a wholeness and a fullness of something, being complete, lacking nothing. Uh, the Greek word for peace that we see in the New Testament is irene, or uh, some people use the word like irene, like if someone is named irene, that actually is based off of the Greek word irene, peace. It's, it's about wholeness. It's about lacking nothing. So biblically, peace means that we are whole and we are complete, no matter about the turmoil going on around us or the conflict that we experience. Like, how wonderful does that feel? How wonderful would it be to be able to step into the conflicts that you have, the turmoil that you're feeling, knowing I am complete, I am whole, I have the presence of God with me. This is amazing. And the thing I love about Christmas for Christians is it's a season of expectation. That's what Advent means. It's the arrival. It's where we kind of step back into history and we look back at at kind of what was going on in Jewish history in that time and the expectation that a Messiah would come and we come with an expectation that Jesus will return someday and we have a promise from God of peace. And it's a beautiful thing because we don't have an empty wish for peace. We have a promise, which is so much greater than, than hope. And so we can actually come to God in this season with a, a, an expectant hope for peace that will come. And so when I think about the historical context to which Jesus arrived and Jesus was born, it's very encouraging to me because the Jewish people at that time, they were under Roman rule and Roman oppression. Um, At that time, they were feeling forgotten by God. God had not spoken through a prophet in 400 years. And so they were like, is God speaking anymore? Where, Where is God? We're going through all of this. We've gone from one oppression to another for the last 400 years. They were struggling, they were experiencing violence, they were experiencing a lack of peace, and so there was this kind of great expectation, this momentum that was building in this time that that a Messiah would come, and when a Messiah would arrive, then we would experience peace. And so what I want to do this morning is we kind of wrestle with what it means to have peace in this season. I want to look at two songs, just very briefly, two songs from the Christmas story 
and see the peace that is offered to us. And the first one we're going to look at in Luke chapter 1, it was actually our verse this morning, or our verses this morning from the Advent candle lighting. But while you're turning there, I'm going to take a few more minutes of the introduction and kind of set up a context so that I don't have to, to read like a really long section of scripture for you, and I can just skip straight to the song. The song is sung, sung by a man named Zechariah, and Zechariah is, um, I'm just going to give you a quick overview of his story. Zechariah was older in age, and he and his wife wanted a child very badly because in those days, and even in today's society, a lot of our value is based on children, right? If you can't have children, that's kind of earth-shattering for you, and it's sad, and it's something that we mourn. We have a couple in my small group that just recently found out that they can't have a child, and they're, they're heartbroken about this, and we're kind of walking through this season with them. It's a very, very difficult time for them, and so you can imagine how difficult this would be for Zechariah and his wife to find out that, hey, you know what? They can't have children, and, you know, they didn't have doctors that would tell them that, but they had been trying for a very long time. They're getting older in age, and it just seems like, yeah, this isn't going to happen, and so an angel actually appears to Zechariah and tells him, hey, you and your wife are going to have a baby. And Zechariah starts arguing with this angel and telling the angel why this is impossible and why this isn't going to happen. And so what the angel does is the angel actually makes Zechariah mute. So Zechariah can't speak. I love that. He's arguing with God and God's just like, zip it. You're just going to have to watch what happens because obviously, you know, this isn't going to work. I'm not going to argue with you about what I am capable of. I, I love that. And, I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes that's what I need. I need to just zip it. I just need to be quiet. Uh, to use the, the words of Scripture, sometimes I just need to be still and know that God is God. And so Zechariah has months to do this where he can't speak. And he watches as his wife becomes pregnant. And his wife gives birth to a child who would become John the Baptist. And, and he's just... Uh, shocked at all of this that God is doing and unable to speak. And then eight days later, as the Jewish tradition would have them do, they would go to the temple, they would dedicate their child, their child would be circumcised. And when this happens, his voice comes back. And the first thing that Zechariah does is he sings a song. He's been watching what God has done for nine months in his life unable to speak, and then when he can finally speak, he can't contain it anymore, and he just starts to sing this song. And this song that he sings, he's actually, you're going to notice when we read this, he sings in the past tense, not only about his son, but about Jesus, who is to come. And it's amazing that he does this, and he sings in past tense, and, and I wonder how much that has to do with him being mute for the last several months. Like, he's watched what God has done so much so that he is so convinced of what God can and will do for the nation of Israel, for humanity as a whole, that he can actually sing in the past tense because he's so sure that this is going to come to pass that he can talk about it like it's already happened. Like, that's the kind of faith that I want. I, I love that. So let's look at this song in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 67. It says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So he's singing a song of prophecy, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So let's just stop there for just a second, because I want to talk about what it means when it says that God has visited his people. Because when I read that, I think of like, I had my family come in for Thanksgiving and they visited for a week or so. And I think we think of that, you know, we're going to visit our family for the holidays maybe in a couple of weeks or someone's going to come and visit you. But this word visited here doesn't actually mean like came for a short trip. This is talking about setting up a home on earth. He came and like to be with us. That's what it's saying here. 
to redeem us, to give us peace with God by buying us back from slavery to our sin. That's why he talks about redeeming his people. Verse 69, and he has raised us up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah, as he's singing, he calls this baby that's going to be born the horn of our salvation. Now, what does that mean? Because that's kind of a weird term, right? The horn of our salvation. So in those days, they actually believed that the strength of an animal was found in its horns, which is why like when they would go to war, when you watch these like older movies or you think about you know, war uh, back then, they would actually take a ram's horn and they would blow it before they would charge into battle. They were basically com- communicating something that we have the strength. We have the strength behind us of this animal. And so they would kind of blow a horn as a sign of strength. And actually, the person who blew the horn would be the first person that would rush into battle because it was kind of this symbolic gesture of strength. And so what Zechariah is actually saying is that Jesus himself will be our strength and will fight this battle on behalf of his people, that he will fight this war and he will deliver victory into our hands. And so when we talk about peace as the absence of conflict, you can like kind of see this right here, that Jesus is actually going to step into conflict. He is going to fight a battle. He is going to fight a war with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and he will win, and he will accomplish for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves, which is peace between humanity and God. Look at verse 76. So now Zechariah is going to turn his attention to his son, but also still talk about Jesus, and he says this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Listen to this. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of what? Peace. Into the way of peace. So we experience the peace of God, the absence of conflict through the forgiveness of sins. By what? By the tender mercy of our God, it says here. So what is that? That's, that's Christmas. Christmas is the tender mercy of our God on display. Jesus coming onto the scene. The arrival of Jesus is proof that God loves us, that God wants us to have peace with him, that God wants us to have peace with each other. Like Christmas is proof of this. And so many people spend their lives longing for peace, looking for peace, spending lots of money looking for peace, filling up their calendars in hopes that maybe something will give them peace. And I just want to say this morning, what we're going to see in Scripture and what we see throughout Scripture is that peace is a person. His name is Jesus. Peace was born in a manger. Peace came to earth to give us peace and to allow us to have peace with God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus is the peace that you're looking for. Jesus is the peace that you're hoping for. Peace is here, and peace is available for everyone. 
So real quick, what I want to do is I want to look at another song, just very briefly, in the Christmas story to kind of drive this point home. And this is the song that the angels actually are going to sing to the shepherds on the night that Jesus is born. So I want you to flip one chapter over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're just going to look at verse 14, this song that the angels sing. And they say this. They say, glory to God in the highest. Now listen to this. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So Advent, the arrival of Christ, is, is a big part of that is a message of peace. God in human flesh dwelling with us on earth, offering us peace. And who do the angels bring this song of peace to? A bunch of shepherds in a field somewhere. They didn't go up here before kings and let the kings know, hey, peace has arrived. No, they show up in the middle of a field to a group of people, shepherds, and they say, hey, good news. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I find it interesting in those days that the shepherds were considered despised, they were considered dirty, they were not allowed to come to a lot of the religious activities in Jerusalem because of just the nature of the animals that they dealt with would have been kind of unclean. And you can't come, you can't touch these unclean animals and then come to, to Jerusalem and participate in the worship. And so one of the things I find interesting here is that these shepherds, a lot of historians and theologians think that these shepherds would have been actually raising sheep for the sacrifices of God's people. Unable, many of them, to actually go to Jerusalem themselves and participate in this worship and in this sacrifice. And so in those days, you know, peace with God was accomplished through an offering of a sacrificial lamb. And these people were raising offerings of sacrificial lambs for Jerusalem, unable to experience that peace with God on their own. Feeling like peace with God is not something as readily available to them as some other people. And God is letting them know, hey, listen, you are raising these sacrifices for the people in Jerusalem, and the ultimate sacrifice for peace has come. And he's over in Bethlehem right now. So how do the shepherds respond? Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. If peace has come into the world, and peace is a person, let's go see him. Let's go see this person who will bring us peace. So you don't have to search for peace. Peace is a person named Jesus. He came to earth 2,000 years ago, and he offers peace freely to those of us that will go and see him, to those of us that will avail ourselves of the peace that Jesus already accomplished for us on the cross. And like, why wouldn't we do that? I mean, if the first place that the message of peace comes after Jesus is born is to the marginalized outcasts of society, that tells me that there is nowhere I can go that God's peace can't find me. And that is such a comfort and an encouraging thing for me. So let me, let me tie these two songs together with you. The shepherds are sitting in darkness. And the light of peace has shined into them. Zechariah sings this song and he says that, that Jesus will come for those who are sitting in darkness. You know, he doesn't say that Jesus is coming for the people that are kind of fumbling around in darkness, that wandered into darkness a little bit, and they're like trying to find their way out and just need a little hand, need a little help. 
just need a flashlight or a GPS and I'll find my own way out of here. That's, that's not who Jesus came for. It says those who sit in darkness, those who are firmly planted in the darkness. That's why Jesus came. Now listen, I don't know what you may be wrestling with this morning. Uh, maybe you're wrestling with sin and you're like, you know what, I just need, I know in my heart that I need peace with God because of my sinful state. Maybe there's specific situations in your life where it's like, I just need the peace of God to step into this situation that I'm in. Maybe you need inner peace, emotional peace, but you just feel stuck in whatever darkness it is that you're in. You feel firmly planted in that. I just want you to know this morning that Jesus came to bring you peace. Jesus came for those of us that are firmly planted in the darkness. You know, for many of us, Christmas is a, um, it's a, in the Christian season, Christmas is kind of a, a, a time of reflecting, and I would never want to dishonor that. I love kind of, I, I love the fact that even like with us lighting an Advent candle this morning, and we have an Advent candle in our home as well, and we light an Advent candle in, in our church in Boulder. I, I love that because, uh, you know, we're partaking in something that people have been doing for like thousands of years, and so it's a beautiful thing, and so I, I hope you don't hear what I'm about to say as dishonoring any type of tradition because I love what we're doing here, but you know, we historically, we light candles around Advent in kind of a, um, we write, light these different colored candles throughout the Advent season, and they all represent something, and so for the first few weeks, we light purple candles as kind of a, uh, those are supposed to be symbolic of penance in the historical Christian faith, where we, where we kind of do penance, we, we prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with, with taking some time to say, you know, uh, to, to use the words of David, you know, search me and, and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. And kind of preparing our hearts for, for God to move in, in our hearts. And so I would never want to undermine that. But I, I do want you to know, like, if you think for a second that you somehow have to, like, get your life together and clean your life up before Jesus can step in and bring you peace, like, you're wrong. Like, that's not what we see here. And I think we spend so much time trying to figure things out on our own in hopes that maybe Jesus will love us, that maybe Jesus will forgive us, that maybe we can find peace with God. And yet, Jesus comes to us in the darkness to give us peace. Like, Jesus was not born into a clean home that was, like, all prepared. I know Jesus is coming. Let me clean my house up. Let me vacuum. You know, let me just get the house ready. Like, no. There's no purple candle outside showing, hey, Jesus, we practiced our penance. You can come in now. That is not what Jesus arrived into. Jesus came for people that were actually not even ready for him. They were firmly seated in the darkness. And he came to a world that wasn't ready for him in the dark of night, not in the middle of the day, not onto a throne, but into a manger, oh, into a world that ultimately would reject him. And what does Jesus do? He comes into the situation like, ready or not, here I come. And so I just want you to know this morning that you do not have to clean your life up to come to Jesus. Jesus came to clean things up for you. Jesus came to give us the peace that we will never find on our own. And the message of peace in Christmas is not make everything right so that Jesus can come. It's that when Jesus comes, he will make everything right. And so I want us to go back to Zechariah's song just for a moment in verse 78 and 79 of chapter 1. Just to reiterate this, he says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, 
The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus here is called the sunrise. He's called the sunrise, who came to visit us and who came to give us peace. So what you, one of the things that you'll find, and I think I actually spoke on this, so I won't harp on it too long. Last time I was here in June, one of the things that you'll find is that all throughout the Bible, the sunrise is actually a reminder of the faithfulness of God. And it's, all, it's like this mnemonic device that God has created for us to watch as the sun rises and then just be reminded daily of God's goodness to us, God's faithfulness to us, no matter how bad it gets, right? The sun always rises. It always rises. It always comes up. And I think of the times in my life where I have battled some very dark nights. I think of times in my life where I've been unable to sleep, where stress and anxiety are like at an all-time high in my life, where I'm wrestling with sin and guilt and shame. You know what? On those dark nights, it never failed, no matter how dark the night, even if it was the, the middle of December, the darkest night of the year and the longest night of the year, every single morning the sun comes up. And with that, a reminder that God is good, that God is faithful, that God has this offer of peace just waiting for me because he doesn't just offer me a, a feeling. He doesn't just offer me absence of turmoil and absence of conflict. He offers me something so much better. He offers me himself in that season. And I want you to know this morning that you can have peace. If you'll put your faith and your hope in Jesus, he will give you peace. If you turn from your sin, if you turn from your own way of doing things, of trying to find peace with God on your own by just being good enough, by doing enough, by achieving enough, by uh, whatever it is that you feel like it's going to take for you to like get right with whatever higher power you might believe in. Like, if you will turn from that and you will turn your life directed towards Jesus and say, here I am. I believe that you arrived on the scene at Christmas. I believe that you died for my sins and I want to put my hope and my trust in you because I am seated in darkness and nothing is getting me out of this darkness. Like if you will do that, you will find the peace that you have been looking for in your life because you won't find a release of all of the turmoil and the conflict that you feel, but you will find the presence of Jesus in your situations. And in just a moment, what we're going to do is we're going to just have a time of response. We're going to have a time of singing. And I would invite you, like, if you've never made that decision, like, that's a perfect opportunity for you to do that. And if you'd like someone to help you with that, you can talk to me. Uh, you can talk with uh, various leaders in this church. You could stick around for the pastor's lunch and, and talk to the pastor there about, like, how do I do that? How do I follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? We're going to take some time to sing and be reminded of the gospel, of what, what Christmas means for us and the offer of peace that we have. Um, and then I also want to invite you, if you follow Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to take communion. And when you take communion and you take the bread, which represents the body of Jesus broken for you, God made flesh so that you could have peace with God, we're reminded of that. Uh, when you take the, the juice and you drink it, you're reminded of the blood of Christ that was shed to purchase the peace that you can have with God. And what I love about this meal that we partake of together every week as a church, uh, what I love about that meal is that you're looking forward through this meal. You're not only looking back at what Jesus accomplished for you, but you're actually looking forward to the reality of the kingdom of peace that is both here now and is to come in the future. 
and ultimately the peace of God that is to come when Jesus returns because of what Jesus did and the sacrifice that he made through his body and his blood. And so I'd invite you during this uh, time of responding and singing to uh, take communion together. So let me pray and we will enter into that time of response together. God, thank you so much for just this reminder this morning that you came to bring us peace and that when peace may feel so far off for so many of us, maybe because of difficult seasons that we've been going through, maybe because of sin that we struggle with, maybe we've just been trying to do things on our own for so long and we just need this reminder of why you came, that you came not only to bring us peace, but to be our peace. And that's such a a beautiful and awesome thing. And so God, I ask that we would avail ourselves of the peace that you offer through your son, Jesus. Help us as we enter into communion to be reminded of everything that you went through to purchase peace on our behalf and to celebrate that, not to come mourning, but to come in celebration of who you are and what you've done. Lord, we thank you for the peace that we have in and through you. In your name I pray, amen.